0: Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode.
1: Welcome to episode 159 of the GDPR Weekly Show and coming up in this week's episode we have news that the UK has named its preferred candidate to be the new Information Commissioner. Remaining in the UK, Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden has outlined changes he would like to see to UK GDPR. And the UK has also set out its jurisdictions where it is going to look for UK GDPR adequacy so that it can put easy data transfer mechanisms in place. We then have an update for you on the NHS Data Grab, which NHS Digital have now put on hold indefinitely. And remaining with the NHS, we have news that an NHS worker has received £10,000 in compensation after a data breach. We then travel to Northern Ireland, where the Northern Ireland historical abuse victims are to receive compensation after a data breach. And we then travel to the US, and in particular to California, where California State University has had a data breach. And then we then travel across to Chicago, where SAC Wireless has suffered a 20 ransomware attack. We then move to Singapore, where an eye clinic has had a data breach. And then we have two worldwide issues for Microsoft. Microsoft Azure has had a security breach revealed. And likewise, Microsoft Power Apps has been identified as having potential for a data breach. And finally this week, we have an update on the large data breach at T-Mobile. So as always, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information useful and informative. If you have any feedback for us, we always welcome feedback. Please send feedback to feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible we put your suggestions for improvements into the show. However, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible to respond to each piece of feedback individually.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time.
1: And we begin this week with news that the UK government has named John Edwards as its preferred candidate for Information Commissioner to take over when Elizabeth Denham leaves the post later this year. John Edwards is currently New Zealand's Privacy Commissioner and will bring with him a wealth of data regulatory experience as Privacy Commissioner, but also from 20 years practising law and specialising in information law. Mr Edwards will now appear before the MPs on the Digital, Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee for pre-appointment scrutiny on the 9th of September 2021. Under the Data Protection Act, the Information Commissioner is appointed by Her Majesty by letters patent, on the basis of fair and open competition and on the recommendation from Ministers, namely the Secretary of State for Digital Culture, Media and Sport, Oliver Dalton, and the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. Ministers were assisted in their decision-making by an advisory assessment panel, which included a departmental official and a senior independent panel member approved by the Commissioner for Public Appointments. So to give a bit of background on John Edwards, John Edwards was appointed to the independent statutory position of New Zealand's Privacy Commissioner in February 2014, He is currently serving his second five-year term, responsible for the implementation of New Zealand's newly passed Privacy Act 2020. His office provides independent comment, advice and compliance action on significant personal information policies and issues. He chaired the Global Privacy Assembly, then known as the International Conference of Data Protection and Privacy Commissioners, from 2014 to 2017, and has chaired and hosted a number of international conferences – Prior to his appointment, John practised law in Wellington, New Zealand for more than 20 years, specialising in information law, representing a wide range of public and private sector clients. He has held a number of independent statutory appointments, including his watchdog for those in compulsory mental health care and intellectual disability services. John Edwards is also clearly no friend of Facebook. After the Christchurch massacre in New Zealand, he described Facebook as morally bankrupt, pathological liars who enable genocide and facilitate foreign undermining of democratic institutions. It should be said that he said that in a tweet which he later deleted. We here at the GGPL Show Showtalks welcome John Edwards to his new role and wish him all the best for the future, as indeed we wish all the best for the future for Elizabeth Denham, the current Information Commissioner. And we hope to have either Elizabeth Denham or John Edwards, or indeed both of them, here on the GDPR Weekly Show at some time in the autumn this year. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. While the announcement of John Edwards as the preferred candidate for the position of the Information Commissioner has been widely welcomed here in the UK GDPR community, what perhaps has been met with a bit more caution is an interview which the Culture Secretary, Oliver Dowden, gave to the Ted newspaper this week. In the interview, Oliver Dowden said that he wanted the rules about GDPR, and particularly around cookie policy, to be more based on common sense rather than box ticking. Now of course this has set alarm bells ringing a little across the EU because they've only just given the UK GDPR a status of data adequacy and they did make clear when they made that statement of adequacy that any changes to UK GDPR would give the EU Commission the option of reviewing whether the UK remained adequate. Now of course, we don't know exactly what Mr Delden is proposing nor do we know quite how it will be implemented by the ICO. But it does mean that the issue of UK GDPR very much remains a live topic. Mr Dowden said, Now that we've left the EU, I'm determined to seize the opportunity by developing a world-leading data policy that will deliver a Brexit dividend for individuals and businesses across the UK. It means reforming our own data laws so that they're based on common sense, not box-ticking. And it means having a leadership in place at the Information Commissioner's Office to pursue a new era of data-driven growth and innovation, John Edwards' vast experience makes him the ideal candidate to ensure data is used responsibly to achieve these goals. The government said that it hopes to prioritise innovative and responsible uses of data so that it can boost growth, especially for start-ups and small firms, speed up scientific discoveries and improve public services. Mr Dowden went on to say there's an awful lot of needless bureaucracy and box ticking and actually we should be looking at how we can focus on protecting people's privacy but in as light touch way as possible. Andrew Dyson, a data protection expert at law firm DLA Piper, said these announcements amounted to the first evidence of a bold new regulatory landscape for digital Britain post-Brexit. It will be interesting to see the further announcements that are sure to follow on reforms to the wider policy landscape that are just hinted at here, he said. And we would share that view. Obviously, at the moment, we have very little to go on under this interview from Mr. Dalton. But we will keep a close eye on it. And whenever there are news to bring you about UK GDPR and any proposals for changes in the future, you will, of course, be first to hear them here on the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at GDPRweeklyshow.com
1: Of course, one of the freedoms which UK GDPR did gain was the freedom to decide on its own data adequacy with overseas countries. When UK GDPR first came in at the beginning of this year, then the UK immediately declared the EU member states as being adequate, as far as it was concerned, to enable UK-EU data transfers to continue. But it also recognised jurisdictions such as Argentina, Japan, Switzerland, New Zealand and Israel. Well, now this week, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport has identified the net countries which it will be looking at with a view to making data adequacy statements. In no particular order, those countries are Australia, Brazil, Colombia, Dubai, India, Indonesia, Kenya, South Korea, Singapore and the United States. The adequacy of a country will be determined on the basis of whether the level of protection under UK GDPR is undermined when UK data is transferred to that country, which requires an assessment of the importing country's data protection laws and their implementation, enforcement and supervision. In particular, the UK will take into consideration the country's respect for the rule of law and human rights and fundamental freedoms, whether there is an effective and independent regulator in the recipient country and any relevant international commitments to data protection, such as legally binding conventions or its participation in multilateral or regional systems. The statement notes, however, that the UK government understands that governments have to keep their citizens safe and in doing so, necessary and proportionate interference with the right to privacy can be justified in order to protect the public and that such interference is compatible with high standards of privacy. Now, of course, this is to allow two situations. The first is that we know when the EU gave the UK data adequacy earlier this year. They were concerned about the options for the Home Office in particular to intercept data where it suspected that people trafficking was occurring. And of course the SRAMS 2 ruling, which passed out on the transfer of data to the US because of the US's insistence that US government agencies, particularly the FBI, should be able to intercept data. The statement, issued by the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, specifies four phases in assessing the adequacy of a jurisdiction, which were previously included in the Memorandum of Understanding between the Department and the UK Information Commissioner's Office. In the first gatekeeping phase, the UK Adequacy Assessment Team, which consists of specific teams within the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, with the support of the Information Commissioner's Office, will evaluate whether to commence an adequacy assessment with respect to a particular jurisdiction, taking into account a number of policy factors, including the jurisdiction's trade and diplomatic relationship with the UK. The second assessment phase involves an analysis of the jurisdiction's level of data protection, which will be evaluated by the UK adequacy assessment team using a template set of questions. Following this assessment, in the third phase, the UK adequacy assessment team will make a recommendation to the Secretary of State, who will consult with the Information Commissioner, and other stakeholders and decide whether to make a determination of adequacy and in the fourth and final phase the relevant regulations will be presented to Parliament that give legal effect to the Secretary of State's determination. Adequacy decisions will be reviewed at least once every four years and the Secretary of State will have the power to amend or revoke any UK adequacy decision. In addition, adequacy decisions may be challenged via applications for judicial review and will be annulled if such a judicial review is successful. This is just the start of a long process to get adequacy for jurisdictions outside the UK, and we will of course follow this process and bring you regular updates here on the GDPR weekly show. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show then you might remember that back in episode 145 we brought you news of a NHS data grab where data was proposed to be uploaded from GP surgeries to a central repository and it was felt that the general public weren't being given enough notice of what was happening and being given the option to opt out. Well this week it's now emerged that more than a million people opted out of the data grab in one month in a huge backlash against government plans to make patient data available to private companies. As a result, the General Practice Data for Planning and Research scheme is now on hold, with no new date for implementation, and NHS Digital has made a series of concessions to the campaigners to try to salvage it. Just a reminder that under the scheme, GP health data for everyone in England, with identities partially removed, would have been made available to researchers and companies for healthcare research and planning, the scheme is more extensive than any current GP data-sharing arrangements. The proposals were very quietly announced by the government back in May, but doctors' leaders objected to the short six-week deadline for the public to opt out of the scheme, while privacy campaigners warned that the process to remove identities could be reversed. Initially, the government reacted to this by delaying the deadline to September, but an online campaign encouraging people to opt out grew over the summer, Government figures show that in May, 107,429 people opted out, but by June, a further 1,275,153 had followed. NHS Digital has announced it was abandoning the September deadline and pausing the scheme with no new launch date. It will soon start a listening exercise and consultation process before launching a public information campaign. In a major concession to its critics, patients will now be allowed to drop out at any stage with their data deleted, even if it has already been uploaded. NH Digital is also pledging to increase the security and privacy of the data, even while researchers are working with it. An NHS Digital spokesman said, Patient data is vital to healthcare planning and research. It is being used to develop treatments for cancer, diabetes, long COVID and heart disease, and to plan how NHS services recover from COVID. Medical research and planning benefits all of us, but is only as good as the data it's based on. The better the quantity and quality of data collected, the more useful it is for researching new treatments or for planning good, sustainable NHS services to meet patients' needs. So it's vital people make an informed decision about sharing their data. We take our responsibility to safeguard data very seriously, and it will only ever be used by organisations that have a legal basis and legitimate need to use it for the benefit of health and care planning and research. We have listened to feedback on our proposals and will continue working with patients, clinicians, researchers, and charities to inform further safeguards, reduce the bureaucratic burden on GPs and step up communications for GPs and the public ahead of implementing the programme. Obviously, we have no information at this stage on when or if NHS Digital will look to bring this process back to life, but when they do, we will of course bring you news of that right here on the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time.
1: Staying with the NHS and Julia Walker, who works for the NHS here in the UK, received a £10,000 payout after one of her colleagues searched the confidential patient database apparently to check if Julia was telling the truth when Julia said that she was pregnant. Lauren Walker, who's no relation to Julia, looked at private information on the day Julia and said she was expecting twins. Julia told an employment tribunal she believed her colleague did it because she was sceptical about the news of, of her pregnancy. Lauren claimed she only looked at the records in order to find Julia's address so she could send flowers, but the tribunal heard that the flowers never arrived either at Julia's home or at work. Now Julia, who later suffered a miscarriage, has won a case against South Seas Hospital NHS Foundation Trust in North Yorkshire over Contravention of the Equality Act 2010. The tribunal, held remotely in the north-east, heard Lowen access the confidential patient database in September 2019 and search for a trolley's name before clicking on it. The page she looked at did not contain any medical information. Tribunal judge Adele Mary Asburn said it transpired that the person who had accessed the database was Lowen. Julia was told this. She found that extremely upsetting. Lauren and Julia had been friends, but Julia believed that Lauren had reacted with scepticism when Julia told her she was pregnant. No one initially said she searched on the database to congratulate Julia on her pregnancy, but later said she wanted to send flowers to pass on her condolences once she heard Julia's sad news. She is said to have known the address, but not the postcode. Jazz husband said she did not drop off any flowers at Julia's home or send them to work. She says she thought better of looking at the database and then did not take a note of the address, but it is curious that she did not then find another way of sending Julia flowers if that had been her intention. Julia sued her employer. And Lowen and for the incident, was awarded £8,800 of compensation for injury to feelings, plus £1,304.68 in interest. Judge Zedman said this was a confidential patient database. Every patient is entitled to expect that those with access to the database will respect their confidentiality. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Back in episodes 108 and 109 of the GDPR Show, we brought you news of a data breach affecting historical institutional abuse victims in Northern Ireland. This week it's been announced that Stormont, the central government body for Northern Ireland, is to pay more than £100,000 to a group of historical institutional abuse victims after their personal details were leaked. They were among 251 recipients of a monthly newsletter email that was sent without the names being anonymised. The email was sent on behalf of Brendan McAllister, the Interim Advocate for Victims of Institutional Abuse. An inquiry into the day breach found that there had been a procedure error in the office of the Victims Advocate. It's understood that the total figure to be paid out to a group of 38 people is between £100,000 and £200,000. Stormont's Executive Office, which oversees the Advocate's Office, told BBC News Northern Ireland that it was in negotiation with claimants and a number of settlements have been made. This was a deeply regrettable incident and and we recognise the significant impact on victims, it said. When the breach occurred, some victims called for Mr McAllister to resign. He apologised but said he would remain in post until a full-time commissioner for institutional abuse victims was appointed. It's understood that pre-legal action letters were issued by legal firm KRW Law on behalf of 38 people who were affected by the data breach. The firm set out claims for misuse of private information and violations of both data protection and human rights. On Thursday, the solicitor representing the group said extensive discussions had led to an agreement before proceedings were issued at the High Court. OMBT of KRW Law said a six-figure settlement had been agreed for his clients, which meant the efforts of the parties involved in bringing this litigation to a favourable conclusion. He said, "It is understood that the terms of the settlement now require approval at ministerial level, which KRW Law said was confirmed by executive office lawyers on Thursday." A separate group of victims whose details were leaked are also seeking damages and being represented by another legal firm, Phoenix Law. Their solicitor, Claire McKeegan, said they were taking legal action and the case was due to go before the High Court for review next month. So far, no reasonable offer has been made to our clients and this action will proceed, she said. So, as if part of this case is settled and part still rumbles on, and for the part that is still rumbling on, we will, of course, keep you updated here on the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com
1: To Chico in California in the US now and personal information from students at a California college who requested a religious exemption from the COVID-19 vaccine has been posted online after an apparent data breach. The records from about 130 students at California State University Chico were dumped on an anonymous internet message board the Sacramento Bee newspaper reported on Monday. A commenter on the site linked to a spreadsheet with detailed explanations from students who had asked to be exempted from receiving the vaccine in order to attend the college. Student names and phone numbers were included in many of the entries. The original post provided tips on how to file a religious exemption to a COVID-19 vaccine mandate, according to the Sacramento B. State purely religious reasons only, the anonymous tip read, do not mention anything else. The CSU system requires its 56,000 faculty and staff and nearly 500,000 students on campus to be vaccinated against the coronavirus. The policy allows for medical and religious exemptions. The spreadsheet shows that roughly half of the requests in the leaked document were approved. Many of the denied requests were resubmitted for another chance of approval. Andrew Staples, CSU Chico's Public Relations Manager, said, We are aware of the documents posted online and circulated amongst media. We are investigating this incident while also taking a number of proactive steps to protect students' confidential information. Most exemptions and requests were filed by students citing their Christian beliefs, some of them quoting biblical scripture. Another victim, who was approved, called the vaccine unseen and likened it to non-kosher food to Orthodox Jews. Students who asked for a religious exemption included several NCAA athletes, incoming students and residents of university dormitories. Students who stated they believed in healings through prayer were approved from exemption and many referred to their bodies as a temple. If we receive any more details on this, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the G12 Weekly Show. Remaining in the US, and SAC Wireless, a US-based Nokia subsidiary with its headquarters in Chicago, Illinois, has disclosed a data breach following a ransomware attack where 20 operators were able to successfully breach its network, steal data and encrypt systems. The wholly owned and independently operating Nokia company works with telecom carriers, major tower owners and original equipment manufacturers, OEMs, across the USA. SAC Wireless helps customers design and build and upgrade digital cellular networks, including 5G, 4G, LTE, Small Cell and FirstNap. The company discovered that its network was breached by 20 ransomware operators on June the 16th this year only after deploying their payloads and encrypting SAC wireless systems. The Nokia subsidiary found that personal information belonged to current and former employees and their health plan's dependents and beneficiaries was also stolen during the ransomware attack on August 13th following a forensic investigation conducted with the help of external cybersecurity agents. In a statement, the company said the threat actor Conti gained access to the SAC systems, uploaded files to its cloud storage, and then on June 16th deployed ransomware to encrypt the files on SAC systems. After completing the forensic investigation, SAC believes that the stolen files contain the following categories of personal information. Name, date of birth, contact information such as home address, email and phone, government ID numbers such as driver's licence, passport or military ID, social security number, citizenship status, work information such as title, salary and evaluations, medical history, health insurance policy information, licence plate numbers, digital signatures, certificates of marriage or birth, tax return information and dependent and beneficiary names. In response to the ransomware attack, SAC has taken multiple measures to prevent further breaches including changing its firewall rules, disconnecting VPN connections, activated conditional access geolocation policies to limit non-USA access, provided additional employee training, deployed additional network and endpoint monitoring tools, expanded multi-factor authentication, and deployed additional threat hunting and endpoint detection and response tools. According to a recent update, Tonti will soon leak all the stolen files online if the Nokia subsidiary doesn't pay the ransom they demanded. Conti ransomware is a private ransomware as a service operation, likely controlled by Russian-based cybercrime groups such as Wizard Spider. Tonti shares some of its code with the notorious Riot ransomware, whose tripbox distribution channels they began using after Riot de- decreased activity around July 2020. The gang has recently breached Ireland's House Service Services' chief and the Department of Health, and asked the former to pay $20 million ransom after encrypting its systems. The FBI also warned in May that 20 operators have attempted to breach networks of more than a dozen US healthcare and first responder organisations. If we receive any further update on this, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse Thursday 4pm UK time.
1: To Singapore now and a ransomware attack at a Singapore eye clinic has potentially exposed the personal data of more than 73,000 patients. The security incident at eye and surgeons happened on August 6, according to a statement from Singapore's Ministry of Health. ERS also notified police, the Personal Data Protection Commission and Singapore's Computer Emergency Response Team. It has not yet been confirmed how many people had their information compromised or what type of data may have been accessed. In the light of the incident, the government has instructed ERS to work with the country's Federal Cybersecurity Agency to take mitigation actions and implement stronger cyber defences. The government takes a serious view of any cyber attack, illegal access of data or action that compromises the integrity, confidentiality and availability of data and IT systems in Singapore, they said in a statement. It also cited laws mandating that licensed medical organisations must implement adequate safeguards to protect healthcare records against accidental unlawful loss, modification or destruction, or unauthorized access, disclosure, copying, use or modification. They must also periodically monitor and evaluate such safeguards in place to ensure they are effective and being complied with by the persons involved in handling medical records. It added... Following this incident, the Ministry of Health will be reminding all of its licensed healthcare institutions to remain vigilant, strengthen their cybersecurity posture, and ensure the security integrity of their IT asset systems and data. Singapore's data breach notification law, which came into force in 2021, states that notifiable breaches must be reported to the Data Protection Office. For a breach to be notifiable, it must either cause significant harm to those individuals whose information has been exposed and or account for more than five hundred individuals. An organisation must notify the Cybersecurity Commission as soon as possible, no later than three calendar days. Penalties could include a fine of up to 10% of an organisation's annual turnover, or one million Singapore dollars, which is roughly 742,000 US dollars, whichever is the higher. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show
0: with your host, Keith Button.
1: Microsoft has warned thousands of its online cloud customers, including Fortune 500 firms like Coca-Cola, ExxonMobil and Citrix, that their data may have been exposed to intruders. The company revealed a major flaw in its flagship Azure Cosmos DB database service on Thursday, which could allow hackers to read, change or delete data saved in the cloud. The flaw was discovered by a research team at the security company Wiz, who discovered it was able to access T's that control access to databases held by thousands of companies. This is the worst cloud vulnerability you can imagine. It's a long-lasting secret, Wiz co-founder Amy Lukvac told Reuters. This is the central database of Azure, and we were able to get access to any customer database we wanted. Microsoft agreed to pay Wiz $40,000 for finding the flaw and reporting it according to an email it sent to Wiz. Azure Cosmos DB is Microsoft's flagship software. Further details on what firms like Token Exxon use the software for have not been shared, but it's often used to manage prescription transactions or managing flows of customer orders. Microsoft said it had no immediate comment. Microsoft's email to customers said it's fixed the vulnerability and that there was no evidence the flaw had been exploited. We have no indication that external entities outside of the researcher Wiz had access to the primary read write key, the email said. Because Microsoft cannot change the access keys by itself, it emailed the customers on Thursday telling them to create new ones. Look that. A former Chief Technology Officer at Microsoft's Cloud Security Group said the flaw could have had serious effects. The VAT's team found the problem, dubbed ChaosDB, on August the 9th and notified Microsoft on August the 12th. The flaw was in a visualisation tool called Jupyter Notebook, which has been available for years but was enabled by default in Cosmos beginning in February. After has reported the flaw, Wiz detailed the issue in a blog post. Lookvat said even customers who have not been notified by Microsoft could have had their Ts swiped by attackers, giving them access until those Ts are changed. Microsoft only told customers whose Ts were visible this month when Wiz was working on the issue. Problems with Azure are especially troubling because Microsoft and outside security experts have been pushing companies to abandon most of their own infrastructure and rely on the Azure cloud for more security. If we do get any update on this from Microsoft, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly show.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: The problem with Azure was not the only headache for Microsoft this week. Dozens of major companies, state and federal agencies, and other organizations that misconfigured are setting in their Microsoft software inadvertently exposed millions of people's personal information to the public internet for months, according to security researchers. The data leak, which has affected American Airlines, Maryland's Health Department, and New York's Metropolitan Transport Authority, amongst others, led to the exposure of at least 38 million records including employee information as well as data related to COVID-19 vaccinations, contact tracing and testing appointments according to UpGuard, the cybersecurity firm that discovered the issue. After UpGuard notified Microsoft and the affected organisations, the leaks were plugged and the ability to access the information was removed. But while the information was unsecured, names, social security numbers, phone numbers, dates of birth, demographic information, addresses and even dates of employer drug tests and union membership data were available to anyone with the know-how and the intonation to look, Updard said. In the case of Ford Motor Company, Updard said lists of loaned vehicles distributed to dealerships had also been exposed. When we learned about the issue, we acted quickly to assess the risk, which we considered to be low, and close the gap, Ford spokesman T.R. Reed told CNN Business. There was no breach of sensitive personal information. Several of the impacted organisations, including American Airlines, the Maryland Health Agency, New York's Department of Education confirmed that their systems have been secured and there's no indication their data was improperly accessed. Microsoft told CNN that only a small number of its customers had configured their systems in a way that allowed data to be accessed by unauthorized viewers. We take security and privacy seriously and we encourage our customers to use best practices when configuring products in a way that best meets their privacy needs, Microsoft Microsoft spokesperson said in a statement. The company has since altered the software security settings that's more restricted by default for some users. And finally, we have an update on a story we brought you last week about the data breach at T-Mobile, which exposed the account details of more than 40 million customers. According to T-Mobile's preliminary report, an attacker was able to gain access to its testing networks and obtain high-level passwords. From there, the credentials were used to move laterally across the network and eventually land on a database that contained the most sensitive details of T-Mobile customers. While we are actively coordinating with law enforcement on a criminal investigation, we are unable to disclose too many details. T-Mobile CEO Mike Sievert said, What we can share is that, in simplest terms, the bad actors leverage their knowledge of technical systems, along with specialised tools and capabilities, gain access to our testing environments, and then use brute force attacks and other methods to make their way into our other IT servers that included customer data. Compromised information included customer names, addresses, social security numbers, and government ID numbers. In short, this individual's intent was to break in and steal data and they succeeded, Siebert said. Siebert went on to say, Attacks like this are on the rise and bad actors work day in and day out to find new avenues to attack our systems and exploit them. We spend lots of time and effort to try to stay a step ahead of them, but we didn't live up to the expectation we have for ourselves to protect our customers. Siebert went on to announce that the company has entered into long-term partnerships with Mandiant and KPMG to investigate the breach and rework its security programme. I'm confident in these partnerships and optimistic about the opportunity they present to help us come out of this terrible event in a much stronger place with improved security measures, he said.
0: Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRWeeklyShow.com
1: The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurety production.
0: Until next time, bye bye.